Good morning, Nashville. My name is Braden Gall, and this is the 440 for Monday, November 16th. Here is how delicate and precarious the Titans' current situation is following the loss last Thursday night to the Indianapolis Colts. Just weeks ago, the Titans were battling for the number one seed in the AFC and for home field advantage throughout the playoffs. Now, after wins by Cleveland, Las Vegas, Miami, and a loss from Baltimore on Sunday, the Tennessee Titans are currently out of the NFL playoffs and sit in ninth place in the AFC. The Steelers are 9-0 and the top seed after their win on Sunday over Cincinnati. The Chiefs, who were on by this weekend, are sitting in the two-hole at 8-1. Buffalo lost to Arizona on the road, but is still leading the AFC East at 7-3, and, and so therefore is the three seed. The Colts are, of course, in first place in the AFC South and are the four seed. Tennessee is now tied with Las Vegas, Miami, Baltimore, and Cleveland at 6-3 and three for the final two playoff spots in the AFC. The bad news is the Titans are ninth behind every one of those teams because, as of today, they lose every single tiebreaker with all of them. Las Vegas and Miami would be your two wildcard teams based on record within the AFC, and the Titans lose the final tiebreaker with the Ravens and the Browns. Baltimore sits in seventh place in this giant mess of teams and will host the Titans this weekend in a game that now has all of the things riding on it. The good news, maybe, is that the Titans will play three different AFC teams that they are tied with in the AFC playoff standings over the next three weeks at Baltimore, at Indianapolis, and Cleveland at home. So a matter of weeks, the Titans went from one seed talk to out of the playoffs altogether by three spots. It's an example of how fast the NFL can come at you in normal times, much less during this unusual season. It also means that Mike Vrabel, Arthur Smith, and company need to move quickly to fix this team's issues because the race is only getting tighter and more difficult. We have talked for weeks that this stretch of games will be the most important of the year for the Titans. Four games in a row against fellow AFC playoff contenders of relatively equal value. So far, the Titans are 0 for 1, and how they finish this four-game stretch is likely going to decide their playoff fate. I am assuming it's just me falling comfortably into my middle-agedness, but damn, I love watching high-level golf a lot more than I used to. It's just so much more relaxing than watching almost any other major sport. So while I had to wait a few extra months, it was awfully fun watching the Masters this weekend. My soul needed those smooth piano keys, the sultry tones of Jim Nance and Vern Lundquist, and some spectacular drone shots of Augusta National. Hell, even my wife sat down and watched some golf on Saturday with me. And while the course played differently, the tee times and trios were weird, and we didn't get any of those signature booming roars through the Georgia Pines, the drama was about the same as it always was, and in my opinion, totally worth the wait. Dustin Johnson entered Sunday at 16 under par and poised for his first green jacket and second major championship. He dealt with some early round jitters, but was largely dominant in his record-setting performance, finishing with a 4 under 68 on Sunday. DJ finished the most prestigious tournament in golf at a blistering 20 under par, breaking the Masters record for lowest score in tournament history previously held by Tiger Woods in 1997 and Jordan Spieth in 2015 at 18 under. His five-stroke win was the largest championship margin by anyone since Woods' record-setting performance in 1997 when he won by an absurd 12 strokes. Johnson never trailed after any round, and he became just the first number one to win the Masters since Tiger did it in 2002. One of my favorite parts of any sport 
and in particular this tournament, is the champion's stroll up the 18th fairway, generally alone, as caddy and playing partners allow the winner the space to soak it all in. And generally, what makes this walk so special is the silent broadcasters and the images of the standing ovation pouring down the fairway. It's one of the most isolating but inspiring moments in all of sports. What it must feel like to walk up 18 at Augusta, a soon-to-be Masters champion, with thousands of people applauding your performance and millions watching at home, has got to be a -a one-of-a-kind experience. Unfortunately for DJ, he didn't get that experience to its fullest on Sunday. Only club members, other players, and family waited for him and cheered as he strutted about the 18th green. But he was no less worthy a champion. Johnson grew up about an hour away from Augusta, Georgia, in Columbia, South Carolina, and was very emotional after the win. Again, maybe I'm just getting older, but I didn't flip around to the red zone much on Sunday and was merely keeping an eye on college football on Saturday. No, I was locked into golf all weekend, and I wasn't disappointed by Dustin Johnson's performance. He was massive off the tee, masterful with his irons, and excellent on and around the greens. He now has a permanent invite to return to the club forever a champion and he gets to pick the menu for next year's Champions Dinner, an experience that only a select few humans on Earth will ever truly understand. I have one big observation from this weekend of college football that featured mostly lackluster games and very little changes to the college football playoff race. But as I watched Michigan and Jim Harbaugh get hammered and Penn State and James Franklin fall to 0-4, it's becoming more and more apparent that 2020 should be a throwaway year when trying to evaluate coaches. And this includes a couple of SEC coaches who have caught headlines this year for all the wrong reasons. Derek Mason at Vanderbilt, Will Muschamp at South Carolina, and Jeremy Pruitt at Tennessee. Unfortunately for Muschamp, he was too close to the hot seat before the pandemic hit, and South Carolina decided to let him go this weekend. Muschamp is a unique case in this conversation. His team really hasn't progressed or shown any signs of growth in 2020, and I don't think someone should get fired for strictly what took place this fall. But South Carolina was already near the end with a coach they probably should never have hired in the first place. They settled on Muschamp after the failed attempt to land Kirby Smart, if you'll remember. Now South Carolina has a leg up on every other Power 5 program in the head coaching market, a.k.a. trying to hire Hugh Freeze. Harbaugh, Franklin, and Pruitt, on the other hand, are coaching at places that expect to compete for conference championships and playoff spots, and none of them really entered the season near the hot seat. All three were ranked in the preseason, and all three have significantly underachieved. But the list of big-time programs in college football that have flopped during a pandemic-shortened and disrupted season is long and prestigious. LSU, Michigan, Penn State, Tennessee, Florida State, Nebraska, Louisville, Minnesota, Stanford, and many others are experiencing unexpectedly poor falls. Hell, Oklahoma, Georgia, and Texas have a combined six losses already, and all three of them were preseason top 10 playoff contenders. Mason and Muschamp were much closer to the hot seat than any of the other names I've mentioned, and it's frankly why the Gamecocks are now in the market for a new coach. While Vanderbilt will probably still need to move on eventually as well, I am not sure that 2020 was or should be the deciding factor for anybody. Financial shortfalls, the most challenging schedule in SEC history, and widespread personnel unknowns make it virtually impossible to accurately assess so much of what this sport is this fall. Mason has dealt with massive roster issues due exclusively to COVID, and Vanderbilt is notoriously conservative when it comes to spending on athletics, so it's hard to see a move coming on West End even though it clearly feels like Mason's time is running out as well. Pruitt, Franklin, Harbaugh, and even Coach O at LSU – 
shouldn't really be in any danger of losing their jobs because it's not a coincidence that dozens of elite programs in college football, like Tennessee and LSU, are struggling mightily in 2020. Everything about coaching this sport is just so different this year. Off-season development, recruiting, motivation, summer and fall camp, scheduling, practice routine, all disrupted by not only the worst viral outbreak of our lifetimes, but also massive social unrest that disproportionately affects college football players. I know fans don't normally cut their head coaches much slack. South Carolina is an example of this. And who knows if Pruitt or Harbaugh or Franklin or Mason or Orgeron or even Muschamp deserved the benefit of the doubt this year. But the more the weeks go along and the more games that get canceled and postponed, by the way, we had 15 games canceled this weekend, I think we all have to acknowledge that just getting to watch football is a victory in and of itself. And if you happen to also solve your long-term head coaching problems, then I guess you're just playing with house money at that point. Thank you guys for listening. Of course, please rate, review, and subscribe to the show. Share it. Tell all your friends. Please follow me on Twitter at Braden Gall. You, of course, can also follow all the 440 Sports accounts as well at 440 Sports, as well on Facebook and on Twitter at 440 Media on Instagram. Again, thank you all for listening. This has been the 440 for Monday, November 16th. The 440 is a production of 440 Media, written and produced by Braden Gall, music by William Tyler. Thank you.